Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this third week of Advent. We continue in this Advent season looking to the names of Jesus that we see in Isaiah chapter 9, unpacking these, uh, these verses, uh, more specifically verse 6. As we do so, possibly for you, uh, for me certainly, it begs a question, how do these names fit together? We're, we're, we're looking at different names prophesied over the child uh, to come. And, and I think at minimum, these names speak to the depth of Jesus' character and uh, the multifaceted aspect of his mission. We see that again today as we are told that the child born to us, the son given to us, his name shall be called Everlasting Father. Let's pray as we turn to the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would, that you would grant us understanding, you would grant us insight, you would grant us hearts of worship. Would you do this, we pray, for your glory and for our good, in Christ's name, amen. Dear friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. For there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. This name, this passage at first blush seems confusing. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so as we consider God and His triune majesty and focus on the birth of God the Son, and now here read this name, 
everlasting Father, we, we ask, how is the Son also Father? We'll get there. But before we do, we must first deal with another question. What is a father? Recently, I have picked up a, a John Grisham book. Every now and then I go back to him, and, and I've been reading Sycamore Row. I don't know if any of you have read this book. I'm fairly early on in it, so I can't tell you a whole lot. But Grisham, as he always does, uh, develops his characters. And in Sycamore Row, we see this picture of a wildly dysfunctional family. In the wake of the father's death. Now, as, as Grisham is developing the characters, we rather quickly see that all of them are a mess. And this mess is largely developed around the relationship of father and child. We get a sneak peek um, into the emotion of that family, and maybe it connects with our own families, as we see uh, the son, the older son, driving back to the, the family home place after his father's death. And Grisham writes this, Describing the scene, the house was a one-story, ranch-style, red-brick structure set back from the county road and heavily shaded with thick oaks and elms. There was a long, open front lawn where Herschel had played as a child, but never with his father. They had tossed a baseball, or they had never tossed a baseball or a football, never even set up a kid's soccer goal or played tackle football. It's brief. It's brief, but it speaks volumes about the relationship or lack thereof between a son and a father. And, and in speaking volumes, it captures longing. It captures the longing of a dysfunctional son for what he missed early on from his dysfunctional father. So what is a father? Well, some of us are blessed to be able to answer that question by fondly looking back on the relationships that we have with our earthly fathers where, where a father was, was modeled for us, where we had uh, wonderful role models. But some of us answer the question, what is a father, based on our longing for what we didn't have. For most of us, maybe all of us, really, uh, those joys and those longings tend to color the way we look to this passage and this name given to this child. So those experiences of good fathers and, and fathers who were lacking, dancing around in our minds, may I first offer a caution? A caution is this, we are not to create God in our own image. We're not to create the image of God as Father after the image of the fathers that we experienced. In fact, it is vice versa, that God creates man in his own image. 
fallen though it may be. And so we look to God the Father as our image for what a father is to be. Now, with that caution in mind, we go back to the question, how are we to understand the child as father? All of us, regardless of our experience, know that there is a vast difference between biological paternity and the role of the father. And therein lies the answer to our question, how are we to understand this child to be born as everlasting father? We're not speaking of Jesus as a Trinitarian father. We are not trying to replace God the Father with the Son in calling him everlasting father. But rather, we're speaking to his role, a role of offering fatherly care. Titus 1.4, Paul, the apostle, a single man, <laughs> describes Titus as his true child in a common faith. And then the apostle John in his third epistle, verse 4, describes the church as his children. Neither apostle, Paul or John, are claiming to be biological fathers of Titus or of the church, but they are very much claiming and living into their role of extending fatherly care over those whom the Lord has called them to serve. The good and loving father, biological or otherwise, understands this. And so the good and loving father, biological or otherwise, lives this role as he is present and engaging. You heard and, and felt the longing in, in Herschel Hubbard's voice as I read that little passage to you from the Sycamore Row. But Jesus' presence, Jesus' engagement, it extended far beyond simply throwing a ball in the yard. Jesus, as everlasting Father, is ever-present. In good times and in bad times, comforting, engaging, challenging, and growing His true children in the faith. Jesus, as Father is present and engaging. Jesus, as Father, is also one who provides. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who provides spiritually and physically for our nourishment. Jesus, as Father, is also the good shepherd who protects. He has defeated the oppressor. He won that victory, breaking the oppressor's rod, as we saw last week in the passage. And he continues to extend his protective care as he sits at the right hand of God, the Trinitarian Father, offering prayers over us constantly. So the Son is fatherly in his care for us. And through that fatherly care, he fulfills his role of revealing God the Father. 
name. This name, Everlasting Father, points to his fatherly care. But it points to more than his fatherly care. You might have noticed that I said he is Everlasting Father. One of the things I love about Southern culture is the many double names that we enjoy. And those double names oftentimes have double meaning. There's a sense in which we have the same here. Jesus is fatherly in his care. He is also everlasting. The everlasting father is the father everlasting. Does it strike you that the occasion of Jesus' birth tends to evoke such discussion, such thought of eternity? Think about that for a moment. Birth speaks to beginning. But we think so much about eternity this time of year. We even capture it in this name, Everlasting Father. We sing of eternity when we sing that glorious song, the Hallelujah Chorus, as we sing the repeat over and over again, He will reign forever and ever. But maybe that causes a dilemma for you like it tends to for me. You see, I and maybe you can get, we can get our minds around the beginning. We can even get our minds around uh, Jesus' short span of life. He he lived a relatively uh, unspectacular, in terms of years, 33 years. We can get our minds around this, but when we begin to contemplate eternity, that trips the breaker. You know, with the back shack, we have learned over the past few years that there's a certain amount of electrical load that it can handle. We know how many appliances we can plug in, and we know which walls we can plug them into. And when you exceed the load to protect itself, the breaker switch simply shuts down. Maybe for you the same is true when you begin to contemplate eternity. The load is too big. Too big to comprehend, and so our minds and maybe even our hearts simply shut down. When I was a child, this reality of eternity seemed to terrify me. As a child who didn't have a grasp of Jesus' grace to sustain me, I, I looked out into eternity, and the duration was more than I could handle. The uncertainty over that duration was way too much for me to handle. I simply shut down. Because in not knowing, I tried to fill in the gaps on my own. And in trying to fill in the gaps on my own, fear took over. And the answer as a child and as an adult, when that fear overwhelms, it shuts down. Do you know this fear? Do you know this fear of of trying to contemplate an eternity that is long and uncertain? If so, I want to invite you to reconsider eternity in the context of life 
with Jesus as everlasting Father. Our everlasting Father has cared for us from eternity past to eternity future. His care preceded our existence. Though his birth marked his incarnation, his breaking in to time and space, it did not mark the beginning of his existence. He is eternally God. And from eternity past, he has extended his fatherly care over our redemption, loving us and agreeing in eternity past to take our sin upon himself, thus paying the redemption price for us, securing us for all eternity. His care then extends into eternity future where he will be eternally present with us, extending his care over us as we are eternally present with him. This name, Everlasting Father. It emphasizes His eternity, but it also emphasizes ours. For where there is an Everlasting Father, there are also Everlasting Children. Eternity is still too big for us to comprehend, but in the context of life eternal with the everlasting Father, there is no more fear. So rather than tripping the breaker in our hearts, this truth is meant to excite our senses because for all eternity we will not be alone. We will, cared, we will be cared for throughout eternity by our everlasting Father, the one of whom this passage describes by saying that the increase of His government, that is His reign over us and all creation, and of His peace there will be no end. His care, His reign will grow. Will grow for all eternity. So the question before us then is what do we do with this Jesus this Christmas? How do we respond? How do we respond to this text, to everlasting Father? Now, with that question, can, can I offer a brief interlude, maybe a, a parenthesis of sorts for us to deal with another question? And that question is this, what is the point of preaching? Do you ever think about that? I recognize that you probably don't think about it as much as I do, but what is the point of preaching? Preaching is to proclaim Christ. To preach the word of God is to proclaim Christ in such a way that our hearts are captured by him, that our lives are transformed by him. Biblical preaching is not primarily meant to give life advice, but... But when Jesus is proclaimed in all his glory, when Christ is proclaimed in his life, death, resurrection, then we begin to be captivated by him and then be transformed by him so that our very desires are elevated, are grown. 
And here we see that this Christ whom we proclaim is everlasting Father. And we see and know Him as everlasting Father. We grow in our understanding then of how to be a father. And how to receive a father. And even how to be counseled in the hurt that we have experienced at the hand of lesser fathers. As we proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ so that our hearts are captivated by Him. That our lives are transformed by Him. And in doing so, we respond to His fatherly care. So let's talk now about how we respond to Christ's fatherly care. Prior to Advent, we were in Colossians. And just prior to Advent, we we spoke in Colossians of how Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That he came to reveal God and to redeem sinners. And at the intersection of his ministry of revelation and redemption, we find the person with whom we will live in blessed unity for all eternity. Jesus Christ, everlasting Father, he is tender. He's engaged. He is thoughtful. Jesus, as everlasting Father, provides for us. He shapes us. He protects us. Jesus, as everlasting Father, is strong and safe. And through His fatherly care over us, we, like young children, grow We grow into healthy, mature, joy-filled Christ-likeness. I so wish I could remember where I heard it and who it was that said it. But recently I heard an African-American father speaking of of raising his family in an inner-city context where the family structures were deteriorating. And he said... As he contemplated his own fatherly care in that context, that children who know they are loved and are safe in the family are children who live boldly. That truth is not merely a truth for a family in an inner city environment where the family structure is deteriorating. That truth is a truth for families everywhere. And maybe that is why Alton Hardy, one of our mission partners, has made the family and marriage such a foundational tenant of his ministry at Urban Hope in Fairfield. Friends, these truths must be truths that Urban Hope focuses on in Fairfield. They must be truths that we focus on at Christ Church in Trustful. Because these truths are not merely earthly realities, but they have a heavenly foundation. So how are we to respond to Jesus Christ and His fatherly care over us? To His fatherly discipline over us? Well... We allow Him to be the one to shape the narrative of our lives rather than what we did or didn't receive from our earthly fathers. 
Jesus is the one who shapes the narrative in our lives. And we allow him to do so. We allow him to define our sense of relational security within the family. And knowing him, knowing, knowing him and our place in him, we will then live boldly for him. Boldly loving him. With a love for him that sets the tone for our sacrificial love for our own families. Jesus, our everlasting father, has set the tone for how to love a family. Love him first. And then let your love for him set the tone for the way you've prioritized, focused, sacrificed within your own families. Boldly love him. Boldly pursue Boldly prioritize the ordinary means of grace in your lives. Order your life around devotional time in the Word of God. Don't give devotional time in the Word of God the leftovers after you've done what you already wanted to do in the first place. Even if that meant an extra 15 minutes of sleep. Boldly pursue Christ. Making your Knowing Him, you're growing in knowing Him, a priority in your life. And in doing so, give the Word of God access to shape you. Knowing that as you do, what you are really doing is giving the everlasting Father access to shape you. Boldly love Him, boldly pursue Him, boldly proclaim Him in your families, and in your communities, knowing and expressing that Jesus Christ is your only source of hope in life and death. He is the source of hope and transformation in your life. And when we do this, evangelism will not be a script that we read from. It will be a lifestyle. When we know our place in Him with the everlasting Father as His everlasting children. This bold love, pursuit, and proclamation will not be forced. It will be a response because Jesus is the one who first boldly loved us. Jesus is the one who first boldly pursued us. Jesus is the one who first boldly proclaimed over us our place in him from eternity past when he declared his love over the elect. And that bold proclamation over us from eternity past found voice again toward the end of his earthly life. John 14, 18, a passage that follows on from where we were earlier in this service. We read Jesus' words as he described to the disciples and to Christians from across the ages, I will not leave you as orphans. In that passage, in John 14, he had, he had just told the disciples that he must go away. But in promising, or in 
telling them that he must go away. He is promising them that his fatherly care would continue. And going away, in John 14, Jesus is describing his death. It was, in fact, the very night when he would die. But death, it didn't win. It didn't win for Jesus, and because it didn't win for Jesus, it does not win for us. Death has been defeated. Jesus rose from the grave and made good on his promise to the disciples and to us because in his resurrection, he came to them. He kept his word. And then Jesus kept his word by sending the Holy Spirit, not leaving the disciples or us as orphans, but instead coming to them. Because like a good and loving father, he provided for their care long after he was gone. But the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit's work was a work also of revealing, but, but of sealing. The Holy Spirit was to seal the disciples and us in the eternal family of God so that they and we might continue to experience the fatherly care of Jesus Christ for all eternity. To the disciples and to Christians of all time, the prophetic word of Isaiah 9 of the everlasting Father to come was fulfilled and is being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ as he lived into his name. It's the child who was born, the son who was given has not left us as orphans. For the elect of God, he has secured our place in his eternal family by providing by protecting, by planning all so that we could be present with him as he is ever present with us. So this Christmas, as we anticipate the birth of the baby Jesus, let us anticipate his life as well. And in his life, we see the fulfillment of his purpose. That through his life and his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension, you and I, we might have life everlasting. Let us pray. Father God, we praise you that you have sent God the Son to secure our place through his fatherly care over us and your family. And we praise you that you have given us the gift of God the Spirit to continue to reveal and to seal. So, Father God, would you captivate our hearts with this word as you continue to plant it deep within our hearts? Would you, through your captivating word, transform our lives so that we would let go of fear, and we would boldly live into the reality of our new family identity. Do this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.